is the West Side King's Church podcast, where we aim to encounter and embody the surprising grace of Jesus. David, do you want to kick us yes. off and um, maybe even a quick recap? This past Sunday, you know, you were in, we're in the series Broken Signposts. You teach mm-hmm. on justice, which is you know I, the the first kind of big topic within within the book. Mm-hmm. Do you maybe want to give uh, just a quick recap in case people miss that message? Um, just a, yeah. a little bit of what you were you know you you're, you're teaching on before we kind of jump into a a, a further dialogue on it, anyways. Yes, no, for sure. So, I mean, for me, what I was trying to do in this uh, episode of uh, of our series on Sunday morning really was was to think about, as we're doing throughout this whole series, just think about how does something appear if we look at it through a lens of Jesus? Um, essentially, uh, then we begin the series thinking about justice. And I feel like justice is a big issue. It's something that we all are interested in, uh, you know, there's nobody that I've met the minute doesn't think, oh, there's something to talk about when it comes to to justice, right? So even we talked about how, you know, even in Canada right now, there's this challenge around how do we navigate the, you know, the discoveries that we're having around Indigenous schools and things like that. Like, what do we, what do we do with that? And what does justice look like in that sort of situation? Um, I, I think what... I, I tried to, to get across in teaching on Sunday morning was that if we have a faulty view on what justice is, invariably then our attempts to pursue justice will actually just re- lead to more injustice. Um, and I think that's what we see happen on a relatively regular basis in, in the world today, that our attempts to put things right actually become uh, you know, become worse than what we started with, or if not worse, they definitely don't fix things. They, they make more injustice. Uh, and so I try, I think part of the reason for that is that we think about justice in very selfish terms. So I, I use the kind of goofy example in the sermon of the film series Taken, right? And so we watch, we watch A Liam classic. Neeson, you know, absolutely. We watch Liam Neeson rampage, uh, against people who have done something to his family. And we relate to that. We relate to the justice piece in that. We're like, yeah, we should sort like that sort of injustice. And it's almost part of us would like to know if somebody tried to hurt my family, that I would defend them well and properly. But invariably, what becomes difficult is to think about justice in terms of things that don't relate to you. Uh, so like, what is it actually you know, like this doesn't like I could live my life one way or the other. It wouldn't matter. Can we then get involved in that type of justice, right? In, in the justice that that is somebody else's issue. It doesn't directly infect me. In fact, what about the situations where I might even be a benefactor of injustice, right? Where it actually might work well for me that somebody else is suffering injustice. And am I prepared to follow the way of Jesus, to pursue justice in those situations. So I, I know that was kind of what I was attempting to get at in Sunday mornings. Obviously, I mean, somebody can listen to that on the podcast and also on the YouTube channel if they want. But and you were there, you heard it. So I mean, is yeah. that what you think I was trying to get across? No, that no, that I that, no, I definitely that is <laughs> that is what I heard. And I love the simple phrase. You know, when you talk about a justice, is um, making other people's problems mm. your problems i think that was yeah. the wording you know almost yes. ver- verbatim if i my memory serves me correct yeah um, totally on 
on on what you w- were teaching on and i and i yeah. think that's a i think that's a that, that's a big one because there's a personal aspect to the justice mm-hmm. piece that we really have to start to lean into and relate to yeah. Um, and I think in the world of social media and you and I have had conversation, you know, with some other pastors even, and, um, that talk about this idea of it's easy to, you know, to promote justice on a social media page, but at, at the mm. end of the day, you're not really taking those problems and making them your problems. Yes. Uh, Are you raising awareness? Sure. Are you mm. pointing to something that you could make your problem? Yes, but it's not quite really what if i'm understanding what you were teaching on when it came to justice that's not the extent of it we can't as jesus followers say we've done our part in the world of social media because we've posted things and we've said now we've participated in justice it actually goes Mm. deeper than that and there's greater involvement that we need to wrestle through as followers of jesus if i'm understanding your sermon correctly yes i i mean i think for me there's an attempt to to do both sides so there's the there's the entry level uh, and there's the exit level is probably the wrong term to, to use there, Tyson. But, sure. but the, the premise at some level, like so one of the texts we jumped into was John chapter three, right? Uh, which I, I think I said in, in, in the teaching, it's unusual because we all know John chapter three, 16, you know, God loves the world. Uh, you know, he, he gave yeah. his son so that, that he could rescue us all. But for me, what is interesting about that is that John then goes on to reflect in this passage about this idea that, that not everybody's going to be happy with this, right? That not everybody's, it sounds ridiculous at one level. Not everybody is comfortable with the God sending Jesus. And, and John's sort of logic, it's a little passage that if you read it wrong, becomes one of these passages that just sounds like classic religious rhetoric. If you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out. But but actually, if you read John closely, that's not what he's doing there. He, he basically makes the point that Jesus has come, and, and his earlier comment is that he's bringing light into the darkness. Right. But then John says, oh, wait a minute, is everybody happy with this? Is everybody comfortable with this? And, w- and we would go, well, surely everybody's going to be comfortable with, with Jesus coming to put things right. Except that some people are quite comfortable with things being wrong. Actually, being wrong works well for them. Right? And, now, and it's easy to go, who, who are we going to think about at that point? Let's think about terrible people from history, right? We're going to think about Hitler, and we're going to think about Milosevic, and we're going to think about Saddam Hussein, right? Or something like that. Sure. And it's easy to go, yeah, those people are not going to be happy. Yeah. But, but, but John's sort of saying, well, yeah, but what will the light expose? Right? This is John 3, 17 through 21. What will the light expose? Well, it ex- the reason that people don't often like the light is it points out that in the darkness that we're doing some stuff, that wasn't very good, right? That wasn't just. So like, but think that back to my level. I, don't, I, I remember being in a situation a few years ago, Tice, where there was a, an expose done by the BBC, if I remember correctly, on a, on a pretty big supermarket chain in the UK. And it was discovered that they were using some pretty horrendous sweatshops in China to, to make all their clothes. Right? Uh, and so now all of a sudden, everybody has this decision to make. Do we keep going to that store? where clothes are a heck of a lot cheaper than they were anywhere else, or do we stand against the use of sweatshops? But that has real world effect on me because now my clothes have all of a sudden gotten more expensive. Right. You know, I can't buy a t-shirt for that price anymore. I have to pay more for a t-shirt. And hey, here's the thing. The t-shirt's not any better, right? The right. t-shirt's not a better t- t-shirt because the previous price wasn't due to lower quality 
product. It was because yeah. people were being abused to produce this product. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, now, oh, wait a minute, this got incom- uncomfortable a little bit. John 3, 17 to 21, is it revealing that? That when I discover that there's people trafficking in Calgary or when I discover something about residential schools or when I realize that the way I was raised meant that I spoke about indigenous people in manner that actually was was wrong. Like that's where it gets really uncomfortable because we're right. we're kind of uncomfortable. We're comfortable with that big thing over there's wrong and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But when it comes down and it lands in you and says maybe you need to shop at a different store now, right? Uh, maybe you need to apologize to some people. Maybe you need to put some things right. Uh, is that yeah are you tracking with that yeah i'm yeah i'm tracking and i think it feeds into and i know you touched on it and it's a really large conversation when you talk about justice and um you know the the problem of evil kind of always comes up as a Mm. part of the conversation as you as you as you wrestle through that and i think it it resonates deeply that it's easy it, it is in fairness it's easy work to say those are big issues that are disconnected from me and they're wrong and they need mm-hmm. to be put to right same thing that people do when you get into the conversation of the problem of you know the problem of evil within the world mm-hmm. why doesn't god just wipe it all out <laughs> well the question we never stop to ask is well what about the the evil in me in some sense right yes. like the the darkness that's still in me because mm-hmm. you know i i've i've said it lots as far as the you know to use a, a church phrase in some senses that your sanctification takes in your entire life plus mm-hmm. a day right mm-hmm. um where it, it's this it's this lifelong process that's mm-hmm. there's always stuff that's starting to be revealed as we continue to pursue jesus and yeah and we continue to wrestle through what it means to follow him here and now. Mm. Um, and so I, I resonate deeply too. And it's challenging for me. It is easy for me to say, yeah, those are big issues. It, mm-hmm. it you know, look way over there and, you know, and we can look South of the border or whatever, like, you know, yeah. pick your, pick your topic and pick your place. But when it's in your own backyard, it strikes different because it now mm. seems to require something deeper of you that I'm yes. not sure we always know how to respond to in some senses. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we get paralysis of, well, what is my effort really going to do? What's the difference really going to be mm-hmm. if, I, if I change uh, the store that I shop at? Does it really <laughs> make that big of a difference, right? Like, yeah. is that really justice? Does that really matter? Yeah. Right? It's, it's, is, is it going to change the world? Mm-hmm. And, and then I think we kind of say, I don't think so. And then we carry on with our life. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So, um, yeah. So I, it's, it's a wrestle for sure. Cause I think we like, we're people that like to see things happen on a large scale mm-hmm. and happen in significant ways. And I don't mm-hmm. know if that's a, I don't know if that's a, like a era of technology of this, like this viral, um, kind of, you know, phenomena and excitement that people want Mm. something that they do to be like seen on a global scale. I don't know if that Mm. affects it, um, or if that's made it worse or whatever, but, but yeah, it's, it's a hard one. Well, and I think that this is why I, I quite like, so I quoted uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, uh, so a Jewish thinker who, who called us back to Genesis and the call of Abraham. And Sachs makes, for me, it was a fascinating point that there's only one verse in the whole of the Old Testament that explains why God chose Abraham and why God chose to do things the way that he did. And, uh, and Sachs' answer to that question is, 
is in uh, is in Genesis, you know, chapter eighteen, where actually you realize that, that God calls Abraham because Abraham will do, and the, the Greek or the the Hebrew, sorry, the Hebrew is is mishpat and tzedakah, right? Uh, which is mishpat is um, uh, sort of retributive justice, and tzedakah is um, distributive justice. Uh, and and I really like the way Sachs explained why that was important. That God doesn't just call us to justice. If we're translating this into English anyway, he doesn't just call us to justice. He calls us to righteous justice, right? So, so, and I think this is where we start to fall apart a little bit in, 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 in the world, actually. Let me not just say in the secular world, because Christians, I think, struggle with this as well. Sure. So Sachse's point is that you can have a just society and it not be a good society. Right? Uh, because because mishpat, the Hebrew word for um, uh, retributive justice, is basically to say this is the rules of our society. This is how we're going to work, uh, and we're going to work this way. This will be wrong. This will be right. So, and we see this across the world. You know, one society says, um, <laughs> "I start an example and think actually, I, I can't, I'm trying to think of a helpful example." Um, you know, let's think about it. there's countries in the world where you can have you know uh, multiple marriage partners at the same time, and there's sure. countries in the world where that would be wrong. Um, so if you are in Canada and decide I'm going to be married to three people all at the same time, we would say, no, no, that's illegal. But uh, so therefore it's not just, we would call that an injustice if you tried to do that, but you could go to another part of the world and they would say, that's perfectly normal. That is legal. Therefore it is just in this particular world. Um, a better example, <laughs> a better example is the death penalty, right? So, so in, in, in many countries of the world, we would say, no, that that would be unjust, right? And yet, you know, you you take like watching as somebody, uh, you know, watching the U.S. Uh, you see states in the United States that are quite happy with the death penalty. And it's very hard for me because I watch that happen, Tyson, and I go, this is not justice. This is unjust. Yet within the rules and regulations and law right. of the United States, it is just. So at which point what you realize is, I'm sorry, I'm taking too long to explain this, but no, no, no. but what you realize is it's possible to be just and not be good, right? So, right. Uh, you know, laying my chips on the line and hopefully not <laughs> causing any offense to people, you know, is the death penalty justice? Well, it is just because the law of the land that it happens in allows it, but it's not good. <laughs> right. It's therefore, and, and the language that this is where the, the language of Mishpat and Tzedakah comes in, because, you know, we need the justice, we need rules in our land, but they need to be righteous, right? They need to be good. They need to be God-shaped in God. And I think what Christianity can wrestle with in that is that we see that in Jesus, that Jesus comes to bring justice. But the question is, what particular brand of justice are we talking about here? Right. Um, and we need the justice that represents Jesus, uh, righteous justice. I mean, yeah, that, that's my attempt to try and summarize that sort of kind of struggle i think that we i think we all wrestle with at some point yeah and i mean there's uh, i mean <laughs> there, there's there's so many different ways that you can then start to take that conversation and i you know you start to see why conversations like the problem of evil and some of this stuff become major mm. debate topics among yes. you know many thinkers across a variety mm. of you know kind of religious or non-religious uh, you know affiliations in that yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in that sense. Um, but I like what you're saying there about the idea of, you know, 
you can be just, but you can, you know, it, it cannot be good. And I think about, you know, if, if we're going to, you know, quote famous Bible verses that everyone likes to, to quote, let's go to another one um, that everyone loves in Jeremiah 29, um, mm. where, you know, where you and I have had conversation at multiple different points uh, about, mm. about the word of seeking the peace the peace mm. of uh, the peace of the city does that connect at all and you're right like because as, as you start to look into jeremiah and what and what's happening mm. there is that a bit of a justice call in some senses too when mm. you're saying to you know to to seek the peace of the city which mm. is not how it's often interpreted and read mm. yeah. um, it's it's read as you know god has a wonderful plan for my life but you you yeah. back it up i think it's verse seven Yes, yeah, yeah. Jeremiah yeah. twenty nine, right? That's leading yeah. into this. These are the plans that I have for you, and to prosper, yeah. and that's that word prosper, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, shalom. Yeah, shalom. That is then, you know, peace of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, I mean, Jeremiah twenty nine is fascinating for that reason because English translators, for reasons that I don't actually, that I can't defend, um, are really inconsistent in their translation of Jeremiah twenty nine because what they do is so yeah twenty nine verse seven. Uh, you know, you know, so so like, well, let's slow this down because we're not actually in a rush. So <laughs> let's uh, let's unpack this a little better. Um, the people of Israel are in exile; they're in Babylon, and the question is, like, what is God doing? And so this is so actually Jeremiah twenty nine is a question. The technical term Tyson of the conversation we have in is the question of theodicy. Uh, that, so if you were if you were jumping onto you know Wikipedia or something like that, the 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 term that describes the subject area we're talking about is theodicy. Right. The, the, the question of how can God be good and evil exist in the world? Uh, this is a eternal question for humans. Um, and I, before we just unpack Jeremiah 29, what I do want to say about theodicy is it, it has huge, um, like massive pastoral implications. And, and in fact, to tell you what we should do, uh, let's have another public planning meeting for a second here. But um, the, uh, we we should pull Kristen in at some point to uh, to deal with this because Kristen is really well kind of read on this whole question of evil because what can happen right. is so often the question of the problem of evil the question of theodicy we're just looking for a cheap answer to get God out of jail right? uh, which ironically enough God never looks for in Scripture himself evil is a problem that God himself has a problem with. So so the the world is created good and corrupted by evil, and God is not happy with this. So um, I'm not forgetting Jeremiah 29. Yeah, no, you're good. You know, but you take somebody like the, the, the... brilliant scholar, Jürgen Maltzman, a very elderly man now, um, who was, you know, like fascinating testimony about how he was... Essentially, he was in the Hitler Youth, uh, drafted into the Second World War. Uh, I, I heard him give his testimony once. He's like, "Fortunately, I was a very bad soldier, so got captured very quickly, and uh, ended up in a British, a Scottish prisoner of war camp, and was visited. The only person that would come and speak to him in the prisoner of war camp was a local vicar, right? And uh, so, think about that. So, this guy's, you know, he's a teenager. He's in a prisoner of war camp in Scotland, and the only person that comes to speak to him is is a minister of the gospel and and he is led to faith by this man right um he returns to germany in the shadow of the holocaust and decides to pursue christian theology as his as his life becomes a professor of theology at 
at a German university and essentially starts to ask this question, a, the, a question of theodicy. He says, where, where is God in all of that? Right? Where is God in the gulag? And where is God in the Holocaust? And, 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 and he comes to, he, he writes a book out the back of it um, called The Crucified God. And he comes to the realization that the cross is the answer to all of these questions, right? And that where is God in, in, in the gas chamber? He realizes God is in the gas chamber with the people who suffer, not to glorify it, not to, you know, bring like, oh, well, therefore you don't need to worry about it, but that God is the God of the victim and that God is the God of the oppressed and that God is the God of the downtrodden. So what we get from God is not a God who offers us cheap answers as to why it makes sense that there's evil in the world, but a God who rails against the evil of the world by absorbing it into himself, but in the interim period, suffering alongside us. Right. right. So, so we, we like I've heard so many things try to well if you're sitting down with someone who is suffering and your primary concern is how do I defend God in this situation then then you're going to end up with a bad result <laughs> okay right uh, like like and I've seen that so many times you know somebody right. has just you know uncovered some horrendous health news and we're like oh where's Where's God in this? And let's now let's quickly defend God's actions because this is getting uncomfortable for us. Like, you know, let's not do that, right? God right. can defend himself if he needs to. But what we do need to be is, is to remind her that the call of God to the people in suffering is not to defend God to them, but is to remind them that God is there with them. Right. right? Is that making sense? Yes. Yes. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm tracking. So now we move to Jeremiah 29. This is the theodicy question. Like we're in exile. I thought we were, we were your people, God. Why are, how, why are we in exile? And when are you coming to get us? And when are you coming to rescue us and prove that you're the great God? To which the answer, spoiler alert, Tyson, the answer in, the answer in Jeremiah 29 is I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to come and get your people eventually. It'll yeah. be your children, but I'm not coming to get you. Uh, you are you are stuck there and i, I mean it's so harsh right and so well so what the heck do we do then uh, and this is where jeremiah 29 verse 7 comes in well what should you do is you should seek the shalom of the place that you find yourself in because if if this place has shalom then you too will have shalom so now oftentimes that's translated seek the peace and, or the peace, seek the prosperity of the city you're in, because if it has prosperity, you have prosperity. The Hebrew word shalom, which, like you say, is translated peace. But I want, I really want to encourage you to think about what peace is for a minute there. Okay. Peace in the biblical concept, wherever shalom is used, is the presence of wholeness, the presence of, of everything being the way it should be, the presence of, of rightness and justice, right? So, so then it gets down to the famous verse, verse 11, famous from Phrygies all over the world. <laughs> you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and plans to give you a future. Uh, so we'll think about it again. So now in, in Hebrew, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for shalom, plans for wholeness. Uh, but if you read the passage through, God's point is this, but that's not happening to you. That's happening to your children's children, perhaps. It's coming in generations' time. So at the minute, your job is just to do the work of shalom where you find yourself. I mean, it is a harsh, 
harsh message in that sense. People will be rethinking it for their life verse, I think. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But actually a profound verse. Like I look at my history, Tyson. I was like, oh man, I love Jeremiah 29, 11. And then it was like, I went to seminary and I was like, oh my goodness, this verse is really dark. (laughs) It's like, I don't want that verse. Now I've come back and said, no, no, I actually do have it as a life verse. Because what you're now saying is if you hold on to a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11, you're saying, I am committed to the way of God even though it's possible that within my lifetime, I might not see the shalom, the wholeness, the justice, the peace that I'm working towards. Right. But I trust God that he will bring it and he will will make it happen. Well, and I think that that starts to bring it again around full circle to this idea of the paralysis that stops us from doing even the little things because we go, uh, well, what what difference is it? Does it make? But when you mm. stop and and put it in the context of Jeremiah, just to say, like, to say, listen, just bring wholeness where you can in the place mm. that you're in. It all of a sudden deepens and and gives greater purpose to even those what we might feel like are minuscule or small decisions. Yeah. They actually yeah. all of a sudden start to get magnified on a larger scale to say, if we're all willing to pursue this as followers mm-hmm. of Jesus, well, you're right. We may not see the fullness of it get played out, but it's, mm. it's coming, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I think that as well, there's questions about, you know, even our definition of what we think justice is sure. and uh, you know so they're uh, wishing i'd brought it with me actually i saw a fantastic diagram this morning where it was asking questions about justice and quality and everything like that and, but essentially there, there's a couple of ways to think about the world right? One way is to think about the world is it's the, the world is the world and we're all in it. And we all have the same opportunities and we all, you know, make use of the opportunities of as, as we get them. Right. Uh, and that narrative works very well in, in a lot of contexts. Right. And actually, uh, let me tread into some, uh, you know, slightly thorny ground <laughs> by saying that narrative works very well for those of us who are in the Western context. Right. We, we like the narrative that we all have the same opportunities and we just took them better than anybody else. And because it forces us not to deal with the discomfort that actually the truth is, I was just really, really lucky where I was born. Right. Uh, Like if you were born in Calgary, you are super lucky. (laughs) Like you have, you have scored the jackpot. Um, And I mean that like with respect, like, you know, but, but you have scored the jackpot in world history. Right? Because the vast majority of people, life has not been easy or straightforward simply because they weren't born somewhere like Calgary. Right. right. So, like, you know, I met a guy once who said, well, I've worked hard for everything I've got. And if I can work hard, anyone else can work hard. You know, well, like I, I grew up in a West African village where, you know, infant mortality was so high that like the numbers would terrify you in terms of the amount of children that died and didn't make it beyond two years old. You yeah. Know, I met a lady once who had had 10 children and only one of them survived right beyond, beyond one year old. Right. Um, let me tell you this, all of those people in that village, they worked hard. Right? Yeah. You know, like they worked hard and, and it meant nothing in terms of they never gained success or wealth. Or so, For sure. so we didn't, so, so at some point, I think the alert person starts to realize 
yes, I, you did work hard to get everything you've got, but you started like considerably further up the ladder than most right. people do. Right. So, so the world isn't a level playing field. So therefore there's not shalom, right? There's not just, well, there's not righteousness and justice, right? So then what we start to assume is, well, the key thing then, surely the role of the church becomes try to level the playing field, try to give everybody the same opportunity to begin with. But so, so this diagram that I saw today, which was, which was brilliant, it was just two people trying to, uh, you know, get apples from an apple tree. Um, but the problem is the apple tree was kind of bending in one direction, if you can imagine that. I, I really wish they'd brought the diagram there to help us, right? But the, the apple tree is bending in one direction. And so both of them are at different sides of the apple tree, and both of them have been given an equal ladder. But when they both stand at the top of the ladder, because of the shape of the apple tree, one of them has easy access to the apples, and the other one still can't reach any of the apples. Right? And the picture says, and this is what equality looks like. But obviously, it's, it's equal, but it's not righteous. Um, and then what you get in the next picture is this question of what does justice actually look like? And what it looks like is the one person has actually a slightly higher ladder than the other. Okay, which looks unfair to begin with, but it gives them both equal access. So the phrase that I've heard, Tice, is that that I really like is that justice and equality isn't that we all start in the same place. It's that we all end in the same place. Right. And in order to get us to all end in the same place, some people need advantages at the start that if we were to start us all equal, wouldn't wouldn't be fair. Uh, and I found that really, really helpful for me. What what do you what do you do when the uh, the people who have the advantages um, decide to make a space arms race compared to um, <laughs> wrestling through you know other ways that there's that you yeah. know, you could help people end in the same same place because that's I mean all we we laugh because it's the most outrageous thing when you think about it, yeah. but we're we're watching that firsthand happen between billionaires within the north american like we have, context we have a heat wave to get moving to space. across we have this heat wave moving across north america that's causing insane insane forest fires <laughs> this flooding in europe yeah. um and and a lot of this is being tracked to you know some of how we behave on the earth and a couple of billionaires go this is a good week to try and go to space <laughs> yeah well and you're reading stuff right like of of there's an if you can you know obviously there's a rollout in how you end world hunger but as far as what that would cost you know there's there's more than enough like this is i mean it's and this is where you're you know <laughs> you're you're saying you know you can be they're not doing anything illegal so yeah, yeah. is it quote unquote just well yeah. i guess within the you know within well, it's the not context it's not injustice yeah, but, but, as a, but as a but as a world we scream well that's wrong that's yeah. wrong yeah and and i think yeah i would i would agree tyson it's um but but what we have to be careful of or equally critical of however um i remember years ago going to a um a, a tour that rob bell did uh, you know, back in the days when it wasn't highly controversial to go to a Rob Bell tour. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he asked this question. He just said to, it was, the tour was called Calling All Peacemakers. And um, 
And he asked this question to the crowd at one point. I remember it was in Manchester in the UK. And he asked this question to the crowd. He says, how much money do you think it would take to vaccinate every child in Africa um, from all of the major diseases that we have vaccines for? Right? And, any, you know, and he had people shouting out, you know, guesses at how much that would cost. And then he just said this, it was terrifying. He said, the number is exactly the same amount as we spend in America every year on ice cream. <laughs> right. You know, like, wow. <laughs> like, like that got real, like really quickly. Right. You know, like, because right. I'm with you, I'm watching the space race thing going like, oh my goodness, you know, like this is terrible. Like these people spend all this money when it could be totally used for poverty. And, and I'm eating my ice cream while watching the news story. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, you know, it takes me to that story of Jesus and, and the woman breaks a year's worth of salary of nard over yeah. Jesus, pours it out. Yeah. And Judas says, well, we could have sold this and given it to the poor. And Jesus does this thing, which has been hideously misappropriated by people across the world. But Jesus just says, well, the poor you will always have with you. Um, and so I've heard it preached that what Jesus is saying, hey, listen, there's always going to be poor people. So what are you going to do about that? Right. Um, <laughs> which I do want to say just now, Tyson, that is not yes. what Jesus Yeah. Ter- terrible interpretation. <laughs> Jesus is doing a, a very clever rabbinic piece of argumentation there when he says that, which is, and you see rabbis do this all the time. They'll drop half a Bible verse. They'll throw out half a Bible verse and everybody that's there knows the Bible. So they know, oh, I know what you just did. <laughs> and of course the text that Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, half cites in Deuteronomy is the poor you will always have with you. So live with an open hand in the land. Right. And what, like what a burn from Jesus, right? Because Judas is going to, oh, you could have, you could have, uh, you know, fed the poor, with with all of that that just got wasted and jesus effectively turns to judas and says judas if you're worried about the poor do something about it right <laughs> put your hand in your own pocket um, right. and, and i think there's a huge challenge for us in that isn't there that 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 actually that what the text does is it throws the responsibility which is kind of what we were wrestling with in the sermon on sunday wasn't it is that it's easy to go well i can't affect government policy and i can't like there's all sorts of things I, you and me sure. can't do, right? Sure. Um, but there's all sorts of things that you and me can do, right? <laughs> you know? Um, and I don't want to be too harsh and heavy handed, Tyson, in that sense. So forgive me if that's why I'm coming across like, but I think you're, 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 you're kind of resonating with what I'm struggling with. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm for sure tracking. And I think, you know, uh, again, here, here at, at the start, we're like, Hey, it's easy to throw stones right at the, at, at the big issues we need to solve. And then I take a shot at everyone making, you know, a, a, a space race, but, um, but, no, but, but it's helpful. It's helpful to put us in that position to think about it. Yeah. But I, I also, I also think it's helpful for us to then again, stop and pause and go, okay. Mm. So what do I, what am I going to do about poverty mm. in some senses? Right. And I, and I, yeah. and I think that's a, and maybe it's a good reflection question just to be conscious of when we're viewing things, when things start to spark, you know, frustration or anger or something is, you know, strike something in us that we see on the news that we see, you know, uh, you know, in our own backyard, things like the residential schools and unmarked graves, or we see, you know, they could end world hunger and why aren't they solving poverty for us not to stop Mm -hmm. and go, okay, but what does it look like for me to also respond? Because there's something that's triggered me in there, right? Like to be, yeah, almost be yeah, aware totally. of, almost be aware of the stirring of, 
of of the Holy Spirit in you in those yeah. moments to say, there's something that has struck me in this totally. that has said, I'm I I see you know, I feel anger towards it. I feel like it's mm -hmm. wrong. I feel like it's, and why aren't they doing something to stop and say, and how do I participate in also yeah. doing something towards that? Right. Because again, yeah, yeah. otherwise we find ourselves throwing stones, um, totally. you know, at, at other people while we sit in a tower and we don't, we don't do anything and it leaves yeah. us on the bench again. Yeah. I think it's normal. And I think it's fine for us to say that's wrong. And we can, mm. you know, because there's something wired in us to know that. I, I, I really think so, right? Like there is yeah. a, there is something in us that says that is not how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so how am I? How am I going to respond when that strikes in me? It, it reminds me, and I'm moving back into some very, uh, you know, old school preaching rhetoric for a moment, Tyson. So you know the story. Uh, you must have heard a preacher preach on the story of the starfish on the on the beach. Have you yes, heard that one? Yes, I do you know, know this. But one. actually, yeah. famous. Actually occasionally, you know, overused stories are worth reminding ourselves of. You sure. Know, so the the dad and the son are walking down the beach, and they come around, you know, some part of the beach, and and because the tide's gone out, there's just starfish all over the place, and they're and they're struggling because they're now out of the water. And the boy picks up one and he throws it, you know, back into the sea, and the dad says to the son, "Well, what's the point? Because you know, it doesn't matter because you can't throw all of these back in the sea. And the little boy says, well, it matters to this one, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I love the, like, I, I the reason the story is well told is because I think it makes a really, really good point that, um, you know, that it's so easy to just give up because there's so much injustice in the world, right? And there's so much wrongness out there. But, you know, if you can help one person, it makes a difference to that one person right um and yeah so so i feel like that's like don't lose hope and that's why you know very mind let's go back to it's great that you brought up jeremiah 29 you know he's like you're you're in a bad situation god says to people like i know that it's a bad situation it really <laughs> yeah. sucks and if you think it's worse you're all gonna die <laughs> and, um, you know and you're not coming home from it and so you could just totally give up at that point and go what's the point it's all hopeless or you can say or I can seek the wholeness where I am. Seek the wholeness. Jesus doesn't, so I don't know, God doesn't come to them in Jeremiah 29 and say, you know, seek the wholeness and the shalom of the world. He says, seek the shalom of the place where I've placed you. Um, right. And, and, and of course, I think God's always working from the premise that, well, if everybody's doing this, <laughs> if everybody's on this journey. Well, then, it's, it's what we always say. If, if everyone just, you know, stopped eating ice cream, um, right. We, we, we could solve those things. But I think the other part that's, in, that's important to remember, you know, as we, as we have a conversation around justice, and again, it made a difference to that one to use, you know, to use the story of mm. the starfish that we've, we've heard. There's also it, it eternal implications, not complications, mm. implications when we think about it again in new creation and what Paul is, mm. you know, Paul's talking about in first Corinthians about like the, the, the work that you do somehow, mm. and we don't fully understand and can't fully comprehend exactly what it'll look like, but it, yeah. your, your labor's not in vain. Yeah. 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 Right. Like it, 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 there's, it echoes out into what new creation in new creation and what yeah. that's going to look like. And so, yes. right. Yes. It makes a difference here and now to that one 
and it impacts mm. the, fu- the future world of what God's doing, right? Like, wh- yeah. why else is recycle, right? Like, you start to think about, mm-hmm. like, these are things that somehow God's going to, you know, bring to completion and our participation in it is going to make an impact. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I, I think, um, I think about the Sermon on the Mount, you know, let's look at how people describes and lists you know jesus describes and lists all these different people that have promises attached to them that are not necessarily present in the here and now the meek will inherit the earth you know so so what are they going to inherit they're going to inherit something of what god is putting back down together there's a lot of this language throughout the the bible about this idea of god is doing something uh, you know in the future and and we're being it's being drawn into the present. I love this idea as a way of thinking about time, Tyson, that, that we tend to think of time very linearly, you know, that we are, yes. we're here and we're moving forwards into time. There are times where I get this sense from the, the way that the theologians of the New Testament talk that, that time is somehow, the future is somehow being pulled into the present in some sort of way, that, that, that what should be happening in the future is occasionally happening in the present with us. It's definitely what's happening with Jesus's resurrection. You know, Paul talks about this all the time about, and this should have happened at the end and it's happening in the middle. And I think Paul seems to think that if the resurrection has happened in the middle, what else is being drawn towards us that we thought was future, but now we think might actually be present. Right. Um, and so there's, there is this complex, and I, and I feel like it's okay to say you don't need to know the full ins and outs of how this works, except that somehow in the providence of God, when we do works of justice, it aligns with the kingdom, and therefore it is future work. Right. And it could be, and if you can't fully articulate that, it's probably not the primary point at this stage. It's just that it's good work to do. Um, and I feel like as a teacher, I should be more articulate than that. You know, I should be able to explain that better, but I, I feel like there's times where we just have to know that you, you don't know quite why everything works the way it does. You know, and why does, why is God so slow? Like that is a question. It's got to be up near the top of my list of questions. If I ever get to ask God questions face to face, that's got to be one of them. Like, why did this take so long? <laughs> right? Yeah. But you see that you see that in Mary's song in the Magnificat. You see it in Zach- Zachariah's. You know, uh, you know, Benedictus. These sort of amazing songs in, in start of Luke's Gospel. You see that sense of like, why justice? How many of the Psalms are like, how long, O oh Lord? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Like, like we want it now. Yeah. And we want to see it happen straight away. But why, why is God patient with stuff like this? Um, and then my dark worry, Tyson, is maybe he's waiting for us to do something. <laughs> We're waiting for him to do something. Uh, yeah. There's a great cartoon out there that says it's two guys talking and the one guy says to the other, I'm just so mad at God. Like, why doesn't he do anything about all this evil in the world and all this injustice in the world? And his friend says, well, why don't you ask God that? He says, and the guy goes, I'm afraid he'll ask me the same question. <laughs> and, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, th- I think that's a, you know, it, uh, there's always some, uh, some truth behind those types of cartoons and, yeah, and, yeah. And, re- and really what they're trying to teach. And I, and I think that's a, you know, even mm. as a church at moments, we've been guilty mm. of, 
yes. of saying where where's God in all of this? Why isn't God yeah. responding to these, you know, this crazy evil in the world? Mm. And I and I wonder at times, right? <laughs> yeah. If, if 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 God is not going, why do you think you're there? Right? <laughs> right? Like yeah. and so I I I think yeah. it's uh again we keep coming back to and circling around to this idea of it still can matter to the one we can still participate. Mm. It doesn't have mm. to be on a grand scale. Yeah. It's, it's, it's how do we respond to it in our backyard? Well, I mean, I I've said, I've said this before Tyson, but I'm <laughs> occasionally I have thoughts in my life that I feel like I've come up with myself that I'm really proud of. And so I want to keep saying them a lot. <laughs> I realize that's a really arrogant way to inter- <laughs> introduce this thought, but forgive me for it. But I've, I've thought about this a lot over my life and I've said this in a sermon before. So, um, and I'm really persuaded by it. Uh, one of the powerful things about Christianity and why, you know, like I fundamentally believe in Jesus as he's revealed in Christianity. Um, and Christianity has not done itself well across many parts of world history and including moments of this point of history. You know, there's embarrassing times where Christianity is just not reflecting the Jesus that we serve well. Um, but there's... Like, I would almost be as brave sometimes to say it like this. Why I think Christianity sets itself apart amongst religions is that a lot of the things that Christian, that, let me say it better like this. A lot of the times what happens with religion is the things that we are looking for as the goal of a religious life. So why would you follow God? Well, I'd want to be set right with the God. I'd want to have some promise of eternity. I'd want to, to know that my future was safe and secure and that I could earn the God's favor and be loved by that God. I see, I see this a lot in religious dialogue. How do we make the gods like us? You know, how do we, how do we make the gods be on our side? Uh, how do we live forever with the gods? These are sort of questions that come along in religion. This, why is Christianity a really bad religion? Um, because it gives you all of those things right at the very start. Right. <laughs> right. Um, you know, uh, God's love the world. It gives eternal life to anybody who believes in Jesus. Like, whoa, God, that's a little easy. <laughs> that's a little, yeah. it's a little straightforward. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you know, how do I know I'm loved by God? Well, you just do. Like, how do I earn it? No, nope, you didn't earn it. You were given it. So all of the stuff that most religious enterprise looks for as the goal, the New Testament offers you at the very start. Right. Which should, which should make you think, well, what in the heck am I supposed to do with my time now, right? You know, uh, how often should I pray? Most religions have very clear answers for that. This many times a day you should pray. Christianity's answers to that? As much as you want. <laughs> uh, you, you, know, um, yeah. you know, like how, how many times must I do this? How many times must I do that? There's no rules. Christianity's horrendously bad at that. It constantly just leaves it vague. And it causes us problems sometimes because we watch other religions and assume, well, how do we be like them? But the key thing I always want Christians to remember is, but you're, you're intentionally not like that. You have to remember that all the stuff that a lot of religions are working for, Jesus has given you right at the very start. And that the reason I tell this story, Tyson, is to go back to what you just said. So why do you think God left us here then? And I am convinced that God has given us everything 
I think you see this in second Corinthians five, because now that God has given us everything, he has a job for us in second Corinthians five, you know, sort of uh, 17 through 21. The answer is because you're called to be Christ's ambassadors. You are called to live out the Christ way to do the works of justice for God. You know, you know, first Corinthians 15, 58, as you said, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's in some sense, it's there. God does not want you tied up worrying about your salvation, worrying about your sanctification, worrying about whether God loves you or not, worrying about whether you've said enough prayers or done enough devotions. No, actually, God wants to release you from all of that, because actually, if you open your eyes, the world's a mess and it really needs some help. Uh, and I mean, that's how I kind of tend to see that. Um, I don't know. Am I pushing it too far? I don't think so. I I don't think so. I think... Um... I think too often we we create a lot of exceptions to the rules to try to get ourselves out of them. Yeah. Um, and don't you know? Hear me say something. I'm I'm not in some senses of there. There are moments that there are you know rules that are good and to protect yeah. you. And you know there are things that sometimes we need to put in place within our life to mm-hmm. um, to protect us in that sense. But I've. I find that more often than not the barriers and the things that we put up to excuse ourselves for, from mm-hmm. them more times than not, at least in my own personal experience. And I can only speak from that, um, mm-hmm. if, you know, of things that I've run into in conversations with others, they're just us looking for ways, you know, to opt out of kind of what's, what's mm. happening around us. And so I, I don't think you're pushing it too far. I think we actually have to start to push it um, again mm. to remind us. And again, I mean, <laughs> it's amazing as we get into these conversations, how much old conversations that you and I have begin to resurface mm. and start to overlap. Mm. And there's probably a reason for it, but, um, but you know, is this, a, this escapist idea within mm christianity that's come out you know in the last it's it's not very old that we're going to escape the world and we're going to go to heaven and so let's just hold on and buckle up and Mm -hmm. and hope it doesn't hurt too bad you know between between here and there yeah whereas that's 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 not what we actually see when you start to wrestle through scripture is it's it's not an escape from it's a leaning into new mm. purpose and new meaning and new significance and mm. new part, mm. new ways to participate in the world that God's ushering yeah. in, in, you know, in glimpses of Absolutely. it. And that's why that download series that we taught just after Easter, you know, and podcasts are all still available uh, from us at that point, both the, the teachings themselves that you and I did, plus the, the follow-up podcast, like why I think that's really important work is once you start deciding those sort of things, new problems start presenting themselves to you as to what we should be doing as the church, as to how we should be navigating and, you know, and, and governing things in our own lives and direction. So I think, I think you're right to draw those connections. These are the connections that the New Testament has drawn on many, many occasions. Like if Jesus has been raised from the dead, if resurrection is the plan of God, then then how are things supposed to be working from here on out? Um, it's powerful. It's really powerful. There's there's one thing I'm just going to, I want to throw in, Tice, really sure. quickly just towards the end, because I, I just, I love this. And I, I I briefly mentioned this in the 
online service, but didn't mention it in the live service on Sunday morning. So I'm just going to circle back around to it. But this Hebrew word tzedakah, um, in English, it we would translate often as justice or righteousness. But in Hebrew, it has a third usage, right? So it can be used to translate as justice, can be used to translate as righteousness. But it's also the same Hebrew word that they use to translate charity with. So tzedakah also means charity. And so Jonathan Sachs, who I've quoted already, he points out that this is quite powerful because it actually exposes a philosophical failing within English thinkers that is corrected within the sort of, you know, biblical way of thinking within Jewish language, within Hebrew. Um, Because if I said to you, and, and tell me if you agree with this or not, but we would tend to think of justice as you getting what you deserve, right? And and charity as you getting what you don't deserve. Would that be a fair way to look at it? Yeah. You know, like uh, we did what was just, they got what they deserve. Uh, oh, look, this person's in a tough time. Uh, we're going to be extra nice and give them something that they don't necessarily deserve, but we're going to give it to them for free. Right. And Sachs just makes the point, you've got to at some point wrestle then within your mind as a biblical reader why does the Bible think that the, the Hebrew Bible think that the same word in Hebrew is applicable for both of those concepts? So what is charity in Hebrew? It's tzedakah. What is justice in Hebrew? It's tzedakah. So, so we can't now go, oh, well, the Bible thought that with stuff you get that you do deserve and stuff you get that you don't deserve. It somehow blended them all in together. And I've wondered at times how that would change how we think about justice, because I wonder if sometimes we still hang on slightly to this idea that, you know, when we give out justice, we're being extra nice because we're kind of doing something that somebody doesn't deserve. And Sachs seems to be pointing out to the idea of really embracing an idea of biblical justice is to get rid of the idea of who deserves what and understand that God's plan is that all people finish in the same place, you know, that they all get what God wants for them. And, and I just think that's like a, like a really beautiful concept. Yeah. Yeah, that is. And I, I mean, I, I think, I think that's where we, where we land it. Cause there's, I mean, you could, you could keep going, you know, around even ideas of, right. We make judgment calls around who deserves what and right. And we mm. say, well, we're not going to help that person because they're just going to do X, Y, Z with the help yeah. or right. And, and so yeah, you start totally. to, right. And it's, it's, it's yeah, really it's not our, it, it's tough. And in some yeah. senses, it's not even necessarily our judgment call to, make yeah. it's just a a call of for what as you just said for forgetting what they deserve and what they don't deserve mm. and participating and everyone ending in the same place so I, yeah. I, yeah i like that 